You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I want to ask you something this morning. How do you feel about the economy right now? How do you feel about jobs? How do you feel about your own financial situation? It's rather interesting because we've got almost a contradiction between what the economic data is telling us and what people are actually feeling. And in a, no, in a November poll from CNN of almost 1,800 American adults, 84% said they were worried about the economy and 71% rated the economy as poor. Furthermore, a majority don't believe it's going to get any better. Now, if we look at the actual data, what do we see? Well, on Friday, the Labor Department reported that the U.S. economy added 199,000 jobs in November. Hourly earnings are up 4% during 2023. Holiday shopping, which is a good yearly indicator of economic health, is looking up. Retail experts foresee decent sales growth for luxury goods, toys, tech, all throughout the holiday season, especially among younger generations. So it's kind of interesting because in spite of all that spending, Americans are incredibly anxious about the economy. And why is that, do we think? And what should we do about that? Like, how should we be reacting in our financial plan? Well, I think a big reason... It doesn't necessarily feel like things are good as everything costs so much more now. From basic groceries to prestige and to the television stuff we subscribe to, people have taken to the streets in several cities to protest the way the U.S. Sends a, spends a mind-boggling amount of money every year on so many different things. And even if there are more jobs on the market, the number of people that are patching together a life via unstable and benefit-free gig work has grown tremendously. So I think this is just kind of interesting because everywhere I look, people are worried about the economy. Um, in In a recent CBS News poll, 51% of people between the age of 30, 30 and 64 say that their standard of living is worse than their parents' standard of living was. So there's a little bit of a disconnect between what people are feeling at their own personal level and what the economic data is telling us. 
and like I say, I think I think a lot of it is the the cost of goods. You know, inflation is slowing down. It's now three point one percent through November. You know, the Fed wants to get that down to two percent. But remember, the last couple of years with what we saw with inflation as high as eight and a half percent, we're stacking inflation on top of that. So prices aren't really coming down. They are in some areas like used cars. But overall, if inflation is still at 3.1% over the last year, that's on top of the prior inflation increases the prior year. And so when we go to the grocery store and we spend money and we see what things cost, we're still feeling that pinch. Now, we also know that wage inflation is very high. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's one thing I've talked about on this radio program is, you know, the, the one of the reasons I think the economic data has continued to be fairly strong is because companies are paying their employees higher wages. However, employees aren't necessarily feeling that way. Uh, most employees feel like they're not earning enough to keep up with inflation. And then I think the political climate is adding to all of this. We're about to head into an election year. You're going to see things heated up on both sides of the aisle, a lot of finger pointing. And to try to win an election, both sides are going to try to tear down something to try to build up their own side and tear down the other side. So you've got these signals coming in through the media that indicates a lot of problems and a lot of trouble. Um, And don't get me wrong, we, we do have a lot of challenges, there's no question. But how should, what does this really mean for you and me, and how should we be handling our investments? Well, first, it is important to understand how the U.S. consumer feels about things. And we, we do want to balance that with what the data tells us. But consumer confidence is such a huge part of the economic system. Um, and I think, you know, one of the challenges we've been seeing of late is savings rates. I think if we go back and look at the pandemic effect, because the pandemic certainly contributed to some of this. We had tremendous spending from the federal government, tremendous stimulus from the Federal Reserve uh, to help get us through the pandemic. And we recovered from that awfully quickly. Now, there's still some supply and demand issues. There's still some rebooting of the economy that isn't completely smooth. But the the time to recovery was, was ultra, ultra fast compared to most economic downturns. But there was all this money that flooded into the market, both in the terms of congressional spending and stimulus and also Federal Reserve printing of money with quantitative easing. And savings rates... We're, at all, we're, we're near, I don't want to say all-time highs, but we're at their highest in years. People built, because we're staying home, we're not doing a lot, and we got cash. That's what the data says. Well, so we had this pent-up demand, and then finally the economy opens back up. Different people at different times have gotten comfortable with the idea of travel and getting back into the into society in different ways, I I would almost call some of it revenge spending. You know, we've been cooped up. 
we, we, we're spending out of revenge for what we went through, whether it's travel or buying things or whatever. Savings rates are way down. Uh, debt levels, consumer debt, credit card debt is starting to go back up a good bit. So we're seeing the warning signs of people continuing to spend even when they don't feel good about the economy. And the consumer confidence is so important in terms of how consumers spend their money. And so I think up till now, there's been a little bit of a reactionary uh, thing going on with the pan- coming out of the pandemic. Um, there certainly are challenges at the same point. The U.S. economy has been extraordinarily resilient. And I do believe there's nothing stronger than the way of the American people. Um, So we don't want to ignore what's going on. At the same point, I think the key takeaway here that I want you to think about is don't be too reactionary with your savings and investment plan. We know certain things about savings and investments. We know that in the the shorter the period of time that we're looking at, the more unpredictable economies and markets are. If you said, Jim, where's the stock market going to be in three months? I might as well go to Las Vegas and throw dice. Nobody knows. If you said, where's the market going to be a year from now? Nobody knows. Even two years, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. Now, if you're looking at a longer period of time, the market becomes more predictable. You know, if you said, what's the market going to do over the next 10 years? You know, it could do as poorly as 4 or 5% a year. Could do worse. It has done worse in decades in the past. But let's say a low of maybe 4% per year to a high of maybe 14% per year. You go out 20 years and that range of outcomes becomes even tighter. See, when we invest in the market at risk, in the short term, markets are completely unpredictable and they are volatile. And they are driven in the short term by things like consumer confidence, consumer spending, government stimulus, all these reactionary uh, pent-up demand from the pandemic. All these things drive things in the short term. But in the longer term, I believe that fundamentals typically went out. So we had this completely unpredictable short term. But the key, you know, people talk all the time about not timing the the, trying trying to time the market it's the time that you're in the market not the timing of the market now that doesn't mean we we don't look for opportunities because we absolutely do look for opportunities okay Um, but we don't overreact in the short term because usually emotion can really get us into trouble emotion is one of the number one enemies of successful investing in the long haul We know that over a long period of time, uh, inflation, you know, if you're a retiree today at 65 years old, over your remaining lifetime, inflation is as big of a risk as many of the other risks that you face. You've got to worry about what things are going to cost when you're in your 80s. And I know you may not be spending, you know, you may not have as much lifestyle spending in your 80s, but your medical spending will go up to mostly offset that reduction in lifestyle spending. At least that's what I see with my own clients, and that's what we see across the country when we look at data. 
So in the long term, taking some risk in the market is the best way to, historically has been the best way to fight inflation. The problem is in the short term, it's completely unpredictable. So when we look at economies like we're dealing with right now, I think instability is a good word because that's the way people feel about where we are economically with the pressures of inflation, employment, growth, all those kinds of things. So it, it's, it's unstable, but you know what? In the short-term, markets always have the potential to be unstable. And one of the keys is that money you need in the short term is not at risk in the market. That should be in more safe and stable holdings, like CDs, treasury bills, things like that. Things that are protected, shorter term, that you can get to, that you won't be down in value if you need that money. That becomes increasingly important with an income plan for retirement. Now, if you're, now then how much risk should you take? with your longer-term monies that are invested for longer-term growth, and that's where there can be a little bit of a rub. You know, when you're 65, should your risk investments just be fully into the stock market? Is the balance, that traditional balance of 60% stocks, 40% bonds? Excuse me, I think that's probably not going to be very effective in the future, and it certainly hasn't been effective in the last five years. So how do you know what the right risk tolerance is, and how do you balance that appropriately with your income needs? So stay tuned. When we come back, we'll talk more about how to invest and draw income in an uncertain economy. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. It's interesting because the data in the economy tells us that things are actually pretty strong right now. But then when we look at consumer confidence and how do people feel about the market and the economy and their own financial situation, people are not very confident. Yet yet we continue to spend money. I think some of that is a reactionary effect coming out of COVID-19 that we're still dealing with some PTSD, if you will. In the last segment, I talked about not being reactionary with your savings and investment plan. You do want to look for opportunities. You don't want to just sit there and do nothing, uh, but you don't want to be too reactionary. But what about risk tolerance? How do you measure risk tolerance? Risk tolerance, and how important is that? You know, as the financial landscape changes, it is absolutely wise to address your risk tolerance and see if your investment portfolio reflects it. For example, when markets were in an upward trend, certain growth-oriented assets may have increased in value, taking up a higher percentage of your portfolio. And when markets are trending up, that may not have felt like such a bad thing, but now that the landscape is changing, what does the inherent risk in your portfolio look like? And I think that's especially important this year because what we've seen is the big technology stocks, we call them the Magnificent Seven, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA, uh, Tesla, and uh, Meta. If I put look at those seven stocks, those are now the seven largest capitalized stocks, I believe, in the United States. 
they are driving all of the most of the stock market growth year to date. Matter of fact, through uh, September, they had driven almost every, almost a hundred percent of the economic of the stock market growth. And so, it, the reality of the situation is those technology growth stocks have done very, very well, but the rest of the stocks have just been kind of flat until the last five or six weeks. So. The point of that, though, is if the growth stock side of your portfolio is way up, then you might be a little bit out of balance in terms of your risk profile. So risk tolerance has to do with you and what your financial plan looks like and what your psychology is more so than it is about the markets. It's understanding the history of the markets, but then adapting to what you are comfortable with. Investing is all about balancing risk and reward. If you want greater returns when the, I mean, markets are going to be up, markets are going to be down. And fundamentally, I believe we don't know when, what's going to happen next. We don't know when one cycle is going to end and another one's going to begin. But we do know, I'm confident, can't guarantee it, but I'm confident markets are going to be up, markets are going to be down. If you want to have greater growth potential when markets are up, then you're going to have greater risk or greater loss potential when markets are down, right? It's a balancing act. Think of it as a teeter-totter. You know, if you don't want as much downside risk when markets inevitably are down, then you're not going to be able to make as much when markets are inevitably up. So it is a balancing act. So how do you handle that? I think it's crucial that you need to be able to measure that. You know, measuring risk in a portfolio, we have great tools now at our disposal in my industry because measuring past risk is actually a pretty good predictor of future risk. Not how much money are you going to make, or are the markets going to be up or down. That we have no idea. But if the market is down 30 or 40%, what is your portfolio likely to do? Likewise, if the market is up 50% in three years, what is your portfolio likely to do? And we can't be, you know, we can't be certain. But we can have a pretty good idea when we measure risk in a portfolio. We can have a pretty good idea of risk versus reward. How much are you likely to make when markets are up? How much are you likely to lag, or or, I mean not lose when markets are down? And you can measure that. So how long has it been since you've addressed the overall risk in your portfolio? That's crucially important. How long has it been since you balanced your portfolio? If you've invested in stuff even for the last three years and you haven't made any adjustments, you're, you very well may be out of balance because of this phenomenon we've seen with these technology growth stocks. Now, as you get closer to retirement, it makes sense that you need more balance and diversification in your portfolio. So that's the other thing I want to talk about here is, you know, I I mentioned that classic 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That hasn't worked very well the last five years. 
Because what we have found in the last five years is the stock market and the bond market have become much more correlated. When one's up, the other's up. When one's down, the other's down. They've been more correlated in the last several years than they ever been have been historically. And that creates challenges. Because historically, the idea behind diversification is you hold a whole bunch of stuff in your portfolio, and if one thing zigs, another zags. That way, if one thing is way down like stocks, hopefully they're not all the way down. Well, bonds have been negatively correlated to stocks over the long haul. When stocks are up, bonds are usually down a little bit. When stocks are down, bonds are often up. Not always, but often. But that hasn't worked in the last four or five years. And so I think the way we balance risk is going to become more and more important. Um, That doesn't mean you shouldn't own bonds in your portfolio, but the reality is over the long haul, bonds weigh down your potential for return. They do offer some diversification benefits. They do offer some income benefits, but they do weigh down your return in the long term. So we have to be careful we don't have too much of that. Instead, we want to add more things that if stocks zig, maybe they zag. We should have things like energy, natural resources, commodities, real estate investment. You know, real estate investment all over the world, believe it or not, is not as highly correlated to the stock market as you would think. It is correlated somewhat, but not heavily correlated. In other words, sometimes stocks can zig and real estate can sag. So then the other thing is, is I think it's important to own volatility as a diversification tool. Now, what does that mean? That means that if the market is sharply down or sharply up, you make money from just the volatility. And I'm not talking about necessarily buying the VIX, which is the volatility index, although that is one way you can own volatility. But there are all kinds of ways to own. It's almost like insurance, where if the market goes south and hits a really deep loss, you have a lever in your portfolio that that can profit from that. Because we know over time, the really big risk, especially as you get closer to retirement and into retirement, is the big loss. You know, most retirees I work with, if they if you have a good financial plan uh, and you, you're drawing income from safe and stable holdings, you can probably retire from a, or, or recover from a 15% loss. A 30 or 35% loss becomes much, much more difficult. And remember, we've, we've talked on this show about the cruel math of losses. You know, if you lose $500,000, and you lose 50%, you've now got 50,000. If you have 50,000 and you want to get back to 100, you have to make 100% where you lost 50. That that takes years. That's cruel math. If you lose 33, you have to make 50, just get to break even. Now, if you lose 20, you have to make 25 to get back to break even. See, the math is not as cruel when the losses are not as deep. So it's that big loss that we have to protect against. One reason, one way we can do that is by having more diversification of other types of holdings, like I mentioned, and the other is to own volatility where you can have a, just a small piece of your portfolio 
that makes money if the market is sharply down, especially. Now, I think it's also good to have part that could make money when the market is sharply up. But the bottom line is volatility is a good diversification hedge where you own a bunch of stuff that if one thing zigs, another zags. And that way, if stocks are way down, hopefully not everything is way down. Now, when we come back, I want to talk about how to navigate this interest rate environment. We have a Fed pause in the Federal Reserve. They're pausing interest rate hikes. There's speculation. They came out and said probably three rate decreases next year in 2024. We have already seen CD rates and Treasury bills start to start to really come down in what they offer on their return. How should you be handling the interest rate environment? Stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this week to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, we're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can catch all of our podcasts. Go to my website at broganfinancial.com and click on radio. And uh, you can listen to all of our, you can also go to Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, Download at all of those locations, um, all of our shows every week. Uh, last week, I had on Stephen Carpenter, and we had a great discussion about estate planning, legal documents. I think that's something very, very important to be addressing this time of year uh, as we head into the new year. So uh, please uh, go there and take advantage of those resources. Now, I do have a class coming up at the University of Tennessee. It's through their adult education non-credit program. It's on Thursdays, January the 25th and February 1st. So it's two two-hour sessions. It is uh, Financial Survival for Retirement is the name of the class. You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to register. We'd love to see you there. For my entire upcoming winter and spring schedule for classes throughout the community, uh, at UT in Pellissippi. I think the, the UT class is $59. I, I believe they offer a discount for a married couple. I think it's either $89 or $99 for a married couple. Um, but my entire class schedule, if you go online to my website at broganfinancial.com, you can click on classes, and it'll have our entire schedule on there. And I'd love to see you there. As my job is to, my goal is to equip you to make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. Now, how should you be handling and navigating the interest rate environment right now? You know, this is something I've been getting asked a lot in the last six to nine months. CD rates for one year got as high as 5.6, maybe 5.7%, but definitely around 5.5%, 5.6%. And the yield curve, meaning how long do you invest in the CD, what's a three-month versus a one-year, they've been pretty flat. You could get Five and a half on a three-month CD, you could get five and a half on a one-year CD. And U.S. Treasury bills were, were paying very, very similarly. 
maybe in some cases even just a little bit more. CD rates have really started to drop in the last week or so. And uh, the reason for that is because the, the banking industry expects that interest rates will start to dr- will start to drop fairly soon. And so they don't want to be able to pay, they don't want to lock in paying you 5.5% for 12 months if they think interest rates in four months are going to be dropped. Now, we don't know if and when the Fed is going to lower rates. The Fed has said they expect three rate decreases next year. Will that be early in the year that they start that? Will it be later in the year? I think the Fed is absolutely committed to not letting inflation come back. But it is completely speculative. So how should you be handling your cash right now? One of the things that I've been talking about is you shouldn't be having a lot of money just sitting in cash. You know, you should have enough to cover your checking account, a small emergency fund, small, because the bulk of your emergency fund, there are money markets and treasury funds now that are still paying 45 to 5%, and they're liquid. So they're not technically cash, but they're they're 100% liquid. You can get out of them any time. You might have to wait a day, but then you're out of them. So, you know, you just shouldn't be sitting there with a lot of cash not making anything. Now, the flip side is we've seen a lot of people that have come into my office that have put a lot of their money in these types of instruments. I've had people say, Jim, why wouldn't I buy a 5.5% CD? and take that guaranteed return rather than put it in the market at risk? Well, there's there's a simple answer for that. The answer is, in simple terms, those, those are two completely different vehicles with different goals. One is an apple and one is an orange. Because when you, in, when you buy a CD or a treasury or a money market, you're doing it for certainty. You want stability. You want predictability. You, you know that, that that investment is up when you need money. And you know what you're going to make. But CDs and treasuries over time have not ever kept up with inflation. Now, up until recently, they had been beating inflation when they were at 5.5%. Inflation was at 3.5%. But over time, they don't. Because when interest rates drop back down, those CD rates are going to drop back down. So over time, they're not as good at beating in. They don't beat inflation. So you may say, well, Jim, why wouldn't I take a guaranteed 5 or 5.5%? Well, what if you do that? What if you take that guaranteed 5, 5.5%, and then the market over a six- or nine-month period explodes up 15%? Well, you've missed out on that growth. And then what do you do now? You're kind of stuck. It's up 15%. You don't want to necessarily buy in now because it's high. See, when we invest at risk, we should be focusing on at least five to seven years down the road. It is completely uncertain in the short term, which I talked about earlier in this show. Markets are unpredictable in the short term. But if we, if you, I mean, five, five, five and a half percent is great. But if you miss out on a surge in the stock market, I mean, in the last 45 days, the stock market has exploded. Now, it wasn't a almost, you know, it was a, it really dropped in September and October, and then it's been way up. But the point of that is, if you miss out on that growth, you know, the key on investing at risk is time in the market. And if you're out of the market on those important surges, 
it doesn't work as well. But you don't know when those surges are going to be. So we shouldn't be asking, where will I be with market investment, risk investments? We shouldn't be asking, where will I be a year from now? I'd rather take the 5% guaranteed. Instead, we should be segmenting those types of tools because they're an apple and an orange. One is for predictability and certainty. The other is for growth in the long term. But we never know when and how that growth is going to happen. And we don't want to miss out when it does happen. Now, yeah, if the market's down a year from now, you'll be glad you're in a CD. But what if it's up? And that's the uncertainty of the market. So I've been asked that question a lot. People come into my office, listen to this radio show at the classes I teach. Why wouldn't I just buy a CD? Well, it becomes more relevant now because CD rates are starting to go down. So as you see your CDs renew, the rates are going to be getting lower and lower. So if you've been taking advantage of this higher interest rate environment, as they come due, I think it's a great time to reassess your overall financial plan. Safe and stable holdings are great for money you need in the next four to five years because you can predict it. And one of the keys to wealth management, don't spend an investment loss. Well, if it's a year from now and you have a growth mutual fund and it's your budget for buying a new car and you need to buy a new car in a year and the market's down, you're going you're gonna to have to sell it when it's down and spend it. It's okay to sell it when it's down and reinvest it, but you never want to sell it when it's down and spend it. Don't spend an investment loss. It'll compound your loss. The money will never come back because you've spent it. So use these safe and stable options like CDs and treasuries and money markets. for what Use them for what they are. Short-term holdings to provide certainty and predictability. Uh, in the case of CDs and treasuries, you know, CDs are FDIC insured up to certain limits and treasuries are backed by the U.S. government. So have things that are stable and predictable for things you're going to need in the next four years. Longer term, especially when you get out six, seven, eight years, and then certainly 15 to 20 years, uh, your biggest risk becomes inflation. And so investing for longer term growth and not being too distracted by the short term volatility of the stock market. So it's a big thing right now because we are seeing Interest rates drop. I think we're going to see a lot of people looking to maybe jump out of cash and do other things. But we don't want to be too reactionary. We want to take advantage of opportunities and take a good plan that looks at short-term stability and long-term growth. When we come back, I'm going to talk about three investment savings mistakes that you, I see people make that you might regret. And this is for all people, regardless of your age, especially you young folks. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. 
Welcome back to More Living. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we've been discussing the kind of the uncertainties in the market right now. There's a disconnect between consumer confidence, what people think is going on in the economy. People are worried. People are not confident. People feel like they're not keeping up with inflation with their wage growth. People feel like they're not as well off as their parents. The, the economic data continues to be strong. We continue to spend money. So today I've talked about the challenges of that, not being too reactionary. How do you handle specific opportunities? We're seeing interest rates start to drop down. Uh, so there's just going to be a lot of opportunities there, but we don't want to be too reactionary and, and, and make short-term plays because that's gambling. In this segment, I want to talk about three investment savings mistakes that you might make and how to be sure. And this this is for anybody. Um, you could almost say especially young folks as you start out or if you're in your 30s or even in your 40s. Number one is not snagging free money. If somebody offers you free money, you should take free money. You know, when, when I get asked, what's better, traditional IRA or Roth IRA, you know, one's tax deferred, one's tax, and, and, and you get a deduction up front, one's tax free, you get no deduction up front. Well, the best kind of money is money that's completely free to you. Well, where do we get free money? It's in our 401k if we get a match from our employer. Not taking advantage of the employer match. When we get a job, this should be the first thing that we do. If the, Whether the employer match is 25% of your contribution or 100% or anything in between, it is free money. And if there's anything you can do to put money in to get that match, you just got to do it because otherwise you're walking away from free money. There's been a lot of legislation introduced with the SECURE Act and the SECURE Act 2.0 that's trying to make access to 401ks easier, uh, more autopilot. The bottom line is if you're in a 401k, if your employer offers a 401k or a 403b and they offer a match, you've got to take advantage of the free money because that is the best kind of money. Now then, a second big mistake is investing savings too conservatively. And I'm going to focus this not on older folks. I'm going to focus this on younger folks. For millennials, the number one investment vehicle of choice for millennials, it's over 40% of millennials say this is their number one investment, and it's a savings account at the bank. Uh, And as I say, that's good for predictability and short-term Certainty, it's not good for long-term growth. So you may be inclined, or you may be inclined to invest your retirement savings heavily into bonds to avoid the risk that comes with going into the stock market. But over time, bonds lag and can really weigh down return. And so if you're heavy in bonds, especially at a younger age on your retirement accounts, you're not going to generate the returns, or you may not, uh, to grow your balance nicely. So let's use an example. If you invest $300 a month for 40 years, so you start at 25 and you invest till you're 65, 300 a month, and 
never increase it. I know it's likely you would, but let's just say you did 300 a month for 40 years. If you average an 8% per year annual return, you'll have just shy of a million dollars, $932,000. 300 a month for 40 years at 8% per year, 932000 Now, what if you only make 5% per year? Instead of having 932000 you'll only have 435000 well less than half. Time in the market is the key. And when you have time on your side, you shouldn't take unnecessary speculative risk, but you should be investing in the overall markets for growth. Speculative risk is when you're, you're betting on a specific company and you're doing a big investment in that company or maybe a sector in the economy. You're buying Bitcoin, you're buying, I'm not saying you shouldn't be invested in Bitcoin, but if you have a heavy investment in one thing, that is speculative. If you spread your investment out, if you're in the stock market as a whole and you're spread among hundreds of stocks, which is what mutual funds and ETFs give us the ability to do, then you kind of all but eliminate and really do kind of eliminate the investment risk of one specific company going out of business or going under. Instead, you have more systemic risk. What is the entire market doing? And over time, the entire market has done well. So investing too conservatively is something we see a lot of, especially with younger folks today. Now, I also see some of that with older folks, especially with today's interest rate environment. And I talked about it in the last segment. CDs at 5.5% sound great, or 5%. They've dropped some here in the last couple of weeks. But the bottom line is, if rates drop, they're going to come down. And over time, they tend to flow with inflation, and so they don't keep up with inflation. You know, they don't beat it. And a retiree that's 65 years old... You know, the average retiree couple, one of you is going to live well into your 90s, close to 30 years. So you need to worry about what things are going to cost when you're in your 80s, and it is important you, you not invest too conservatively. Now, the flip side is take an appropriate amount of risk, and I talked about risk tolerance and measuring risk in, in one of our prior segments. But don't in, be careful you don't invest too conservatively, especially you young folks. And then finally, not keeping some funds in a regular brokerage account. In other words, not a retirement account like an IRA or a 401k or a, or a Roth. You know, those accounts are the best way, in my view, to build wealth, our retirement accounts, because we have tax incentives to save and invest in those accounts. We either get a tax advantage up front on all of them, we get a tax advantage as they grow, and then with a Roth, we get a huge tax advantage coming out at the end. But in, in, in a trade-off for those tax benefits, we have restrictions on how we get to that money. And in some cases, when we have to start drawing from it at age 73 or 75. So there are rules and restrictions. So everybody at a fairly young age, once you can afford it, once you're already maxing out your 401k, uh, or, or excuse me, maxing the match, and you have emergency savings, think about starting a traditional investment account that doesn't have to be tied up until you're 60 years old. <coughs> 
Thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Many thanks to Richie for running, engineering the show. Many thanks to Jill for helping produce the show. Thanks for tuning in this week. Have a very, very blessed continued Christmas season. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.